0: This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Again, if we haven't met before, my name's Adam. I know we've got some new friends with us here today. Really, really glad that you're with us. Uh, We are currently uh, working our way through a book in the Old Testament. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, uh, it's the second book of the Bible of our english bibles it's called the book of exodus so if you've if you've got a bible i'll uh i'll give you a moment to open that. We are in exodus chapter twenty five and really we're covering large sections of this book because we're going to try to close this out over the next uh coming weeks and months uh weeks more than months um but this morning we're going to be looking at largely chapters twenty-five through twenty-seven. Uh, I will not be reading three chapters of the Bible this morning. Uh, I'll leave leave that up to you. But we're going to kind of hover over those passages uh, today. Let me just give you a little landscape, um, put some handles on our sermon series. I've I've done this time and time again. So if you've been with us, this uh, you know I'm trying to get some of this into your DNA. Um, Here's, here's what's going on in the book of Exodus is that um, God is leading his people uh, to the promised land. Um, I, I have been using the language of home. So God is, you know, he's taking them to, to live at home with them, but he's taking them on the long, um, the long extended route. So what could have been an 11-day uh, travel route from Egypt to the promised land, God made it 40 years long. And my premise for the whole sermon series has been this, uh, and this is the part that if you, if you will memorize this and share it with me at some point, I will take you out for coffee or something uh, for, bonus, for bonus reward. Here's my, here's my main kind of working thesis, is that God is more interested in who you are becoming as a person than where you're going. I think that, you know, what what God is showing us through uh, these passages in the scripture and his work with his people in history is that God is not just interested in us getting to where we're going, heaven, glory, perfection, you know, that's part of it, but more than that, he's interested in who we are becoming in the midst of that journey. And so we're, we're looking, uh, you know, at these, at these narratives. This is historical narrative. These happened in real time, in real place. And, I, you know, I, I realize I have the privilege of thinking about these things all throughout my week. And you, you kind of show up on a Sunday. But this, you know, these passages have so much relevance to our lives. It's, it's still shocking to me. And, I, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Old Testament... It just feels so far removed uh, from my, you know, weekly activity uh, that it just it just feels obscure and you know mildly irrelevant. Um, I don't know if you know I, I, what came to mind this week was it was kind of like uh, when you're a kid and you, maybe you play this game or maybe they have this like an explorer where you you're, you're looking in a box and either you're blindfolded or you can't see in the box but you're feeling the objects right and you have to like guess what it is. That's kind of what's going on in these chapters. Like we're going to look at the, the details of the tabernacle, what's called the tabernacle, and the furniture that goes inside. And, you know, I'm not going to offend your intellectual capacity. I'm not going to spend all day talking about like how these things were built. But like we're going to feel around in the text and like we're going to, we're going to get to what, why God gave us this. Like What is he really leading us to to believe about these things, about these objects? Uh, The famous Protestant reformer Martin Luther, when he was talking about the distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament, he put it in a really catchy way. He said that in the Old Testament, the new is uh, concealed, and in the New Testament, the old is revealed. So in the Old Testament, it's like all the furniture of the New Testament is there, but it's it's concealed you can't you don't really know what's going on, but in the New Testament, greater light is given, and everything that was talked spoken about in the old is now revealed uh primarily in in Jesus Christ. So let me do this uh, again it's three chapters of the Bible, and I'm literally going to read three verses of it, so that's the high level we're going to take at this. Uh, I'm going to look at verses 8 and 9 of chapter 25, which we kind of hovered around last week. And then I'm just going to read one verse, uh, verse 22, uh, from one of the objects of, of furniture for the tabernacle. So this is God's word for us this morning, coming from Exodus chapter 25. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst... Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. And scrolling down to verse 22. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. This is God's word, let's, uh, let's pray together and ask him to bless the preaching of it. Father, we, we give our attention uh, now to your word and Lord, we, we need your help. Uh, we need your help to keep our attention there, to not be distracted uh, by other things that are, that are crying for our attention right now. Uh, We pray that you would help us to hear your voice uh, from the scriptures today, uh, that you would take this man's voice and that you would make it your own this morning. Uh, Open our eyes, uh, unstop our ears, and soften our hearts so that we can see, hear, and believe incredible things from your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we start this morning by taking a, a little walk down uh, Childhood Lane, uh, back to my childhood home? Uh, we, I grew up here in, in the Northeast Heights, and you know we've all got that childhood home that's in our image, and mine's up there at 14335 La Cueva. You can Google that, go buy it later. Uh, but this was this was my childhood home. It's where, where most uh, of my memories are. And uh, there was, there was, you know, it's a pretty small, modest little house there that we grew up in. And this, I don't know about you, like I feel like a lot of families have like the room that's off limits, right? We had a room that was by and large off limits. And uh, my mom's here today, so I have to like tread lightly, you know, talking about childhood with my mom here. But uh, the front room was like, it was this off limits. Um, there was, I just have to cast the vision, there was pink carpet that was frequently vacuumed so it had the vacuum lines on it at all times. We had like a the wooden box television that you know we all grew up with and then uh and, and then very simply all that was really in there that I recall uh furniture wise uh was the couch. And the couch was a really it was like a deeper than normal couch. It was really wide, strong. It was like southwestern pattern so it the pink matched the carpet had like pink and blues in it and it was just it was incredible. And the couch uh was not to be sat on. That this couch was was not a couch where you sit. You you know, if we were in that room which was rare, you you're on the floor. Like this was this was the spectacle. This was the object of the room. And I always felt and and to to make it like strikingly similar to the tabernacle. Not only was this room like off limits. So I'm I'm painting the picture of what's called the the holy place at the tabernacle. But it also had a veil in front of it. Like we hung this thick carpet uh, rug to like, because we didn't even heat that room. Like, so they were like trying to keep heat out of that room. So like, not only was it veiled and untouchable and cold, like tangibly cold. Like you go in there, like it just had this feel to it. Like, I don't belong in here and, and it's just, it was just shocking. So that, that was my childhood. And I always felt like really uncomfortable in that room and around that couch. Like, you know, I didn't want to mess it up or do anything wrong and certainly didn't want to take the vacuum marks out of alignment. And so that was kind of that. But things changed. Uh, my relationship, as it were, with that couch changed when my parents gave me the couch so when we uh, we moved to Phoenix to go do some college and and some life, and I was given that couch and I remember like it was it was like a major deal like I get that couch, and i 'll tell you what like again mom 's here, so she 's probably like you know cringing right now, but like we lived on that couch i mean, we had that couch for a number of years. And we, we did we ever sit on it? Like, we will we'll spare you from all the details, but like, we lived and loved that couch. It was so comfortable, it was deep, it was great, you know, all these things. And here's, here's where the things changed for us. Like, I had a, you know, increasing comfort level with this couch when it became my own. Um, Exodus 25 through 27 um, is, is a display of, of God's presence uh, with his people. And if you, if you read it, um, you just read it as is, you know, just on paper, it will feel much like I used to feel in that front room. Um, it will feel uncomfortable. You will feel, it, it can, God's presence can feel very, you can have a very ambivalent type of relationship with it. It feels, you know, unapproachable, untouchable, not comfortable at all. And what, what what I what I hope to show you today from the scriptures is how God, though His presence can and does feel like that oftentimes to us, is interested um, in in making His presence yours, and and in giving you Himself the way He does to us you would have an increasing capacity to be close to God. That you would grow comfortable and relaxed and interested in what God is offering you in himself. That's, that, that's what I think is happening as God you know, lays out a very detailed description of uh, what's called the tabernacle. Now, the problem the problem that you and I have is uh, we have a hard time uh, believing uh, that God is interested in being close to us. Now, now you might you might believe it theologically or intellectually, like you could probably write a paper on it or you know tell somebody else about it. But my you know with urgent fervor, and I think you know. I feel like this concept more than ever is really important for us to grasp as people is not just to believe it like intellectually, but, but also experientially. So, so the question I'll, I'll kind of pose of the text and a view you of your life today is do you believe that God wants to be close to you? And it, it, if you'll at least enter the qu- you know, if you'll at least entertain that question with, with an affirmative, yes, I, I can believe that, then the, the follow-up question of that would be, well, then how do you get close to him? How can I have an increasing capacity to feel and to be close to God experientially, not just intellectually? So a couple things we're gonna look at, and I'm just I'm really just spinning off of verse um, eight Uh, here's here's what verse 8 says. It says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God gives us the tabernacle, the sanctuary, his presence, so he can dwell in their midst. So let's look first at God's dwelling, and then let's look at our midst. So let's look at God's dwelling. And here's Here's how I want to do this again I'm covering three chapters of Exodus, so let me just give you kind of a, a verbal walkthrough tour as it were of of the tabernacle um, at a pretty high level. Uh, I used to work one of my first obscure jobs was I worked at a furniture an Amish furniture store and when we yes that's right Amish furniture I worked there and uh when we we would occasionally do inventory, and we would always just work from the outside in. So you, like you just start, you know, counting and kind of marking, you know, all the pieces of furniture that we have in the warehouse. We would always go outside in. So the text actually goes inside out, um, but but it's going to be easier for me to visually, verbally communicate it to you from the outside in. So here here is what's contained, and you can read it for your afternoon delight in t- chapters 25 through 27 in, in much greater detail. This is this is what's going on. God establishes a mobile setup um, for his people to experience his presence. Uh, there's an outer fence courtyard and the whole square footage of it is roughly 11,000 square feet. So it's a, it's a really wide spread, okay? And within that large court, courtyard is the the tabernacle proper. And the tabernacle is only it's 45 feet uh deep, wide, uh deep and then 15 feet wide. So it's kind of thin and long. So within an 11,000 square foot because it had to mark out, you know, God, you know, he marks out who who's going to come in and then within it is the tabernacle, the tent proper. Now, when you walk in, there would have been a, a veil. It would have been those purple and blue linens that they gathered in previous chapters. You would have walked in, and not anybody would have walked in. Only priests would have walked in. And before walking in, there was the, uh, the, the altar, the basin, right? So there's a, there's a washing altar for the priests to cleanse themselves. We'll talk about that next week. For the priests to cleanse themselves before they enter in. So you would have gone through the veil and then uh, directly to your right, which would have been north-facing, God is very specific about all these details. Directly to your right would have been the bread of presence. It's a small table, similar size of this, a little bit longer. It would have had 12 loaves of bread on it. There's symbolism there for God's people, the 12 tribes. It was all laid out in gold. Uh, the, the bread would have been consumed and eaten by the priests on a weekly basis and replaced every, every Sabbath on the Saturday. So that would have been on your right. And then on your left would have been the lampstand. And this golden lampstand, you may have seen it. It's called a, a menorah in Jewish uh, history. Uh, it's, it's a seven-pronged lamp that looks and is described much like a tree. And so this would light the, the, the otherwise dim and dark tabernacle. So you've got the table, you've got the lamp, and then as you approach another really thick veil, right in front of that is the altar of incense. So there's fragrant offerings that would go there, and then you've got a, a really thick, almost three feet wide veil separating what is called the holy place, uh, the, yeah, the holy place from the holy of holies. So in, in this small room, A.K.A. my childhood living room, um, is was only permitted uh, the high priest once per year to enter in, and inside of that room was one piece of furniture. It's the Ark of the Covenant. So a small box with a golden lid on it, two angels, cherubim facing each other on the top of it. It's, uh, and then inside of it, it's said that the, the commandment or the testimony goes in it. So likely the 10 commandments, which would have represented, you know, God has made a promise to his people. His people have made a promise to be in relationship with him. That goes inside there. The lid is put on top and God's presence is said to be above and around the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so that is, and then it's all draped and covered in animal skins and linens and all of this uh, was mobile. So this was all something that would travel with the Israelites as they would take up camp from Sinai. Now they're still at Sinai at this point, but later they'll be leaving on their expedition to Canaan and this would all be a, a mobile setup for them where they could take it, set it back up. So you know, one of the how, what do you do with all that, right? So here's here's one thing. Like if you're if you're reading your scriptures, one one really good question you can always ask the scriptures is this: What does this teach me about God? And what does this teach me about myself? And the thing that it teaches us about God, one of many things, is that um, is that God's presence. Um, we can't be casual about God's presence. So, you know, you, you look at um, all of the descriptions of this and in, in all of the pieces of furniture, uh, none of them were to be touched by human hands. There was a, a travel system installed with rings and, uh, and rods. In fact, two individuals, Nadab and Abihu, who were on Mount Sinai would later be put to death because in an attempt to save the ark from hitting the ground, they caught it and in catching it, they touched it. And in touching it, they casually approached God. And in casually approaching God, they were put to death. And so this this teaches us, you know, about God is, is not only that he can't be approached casually, but also it teaches us about his heart. It teaches us that there is a deep longing inside of God to be with his people, to dwell, to be near, to be close um, but but what it what it teaches us about us is that we cannot come into that closeness without help, like to feel our thin capacity of being close to God is what this tabernacle shows us, and you know i think I think it's important for us to to just first off just admit that I, th- I mean these are his people you know these are not egyptian pagans these are his people who have firsthand experience of deliverance from the worst of life's ex- you know circumstances and yet there's still a very very minimal capacity to come into god's presence see god's dwelling um his his place uh, is is an invitation to 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 both feel god 's heart to be near you and at the same time to feel the resistance in yourself to be near him and you know i think as christians we 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 traffic and talk and circle around you know experiencing god 's nearness in a lot of ways um, but it's it's just it's not our experience. Can we just just say that right now that it is difficult, particularly in you know heavy life circumstances, to feel that God is near. Like our, our inclination just to say, where is God? And and what I think these passages are I, what I hope is it's opening up this aroma of like, oh, God is near and he longs to be near. And even though we have a thin capacity to be near him, he will give us what we need to be near him. So so if that's the case, let's talk about uh that ambivalence, that you know, let's talk about being in our midst. Like what does our midst look like? Um the opening cha- one of the opening chapters of the New Testament uh, is in Go- John's gospel, John chapter one. And it, it came to mind uh, this week when uh, we were moving uh, our trailer. If you've ever gazed over down southward, we normally have our mobile trailer down there. It's a 24 foot trailer and it's got all our belongings as a church. Uh, in case this is news to you, we don't own a building. Um, so hence we're in a park right now. But uh, we have had that trailer since our you know early days, a number of five, six years ago. And I was just kind of – its it was kind of the bane of my existence this week. Like it was uh, – the school had asked us to move it. Apparently they're going to be doing uh, an amphitheater down there. So, so they're going to be doing some construction work. And so they said, hey, Adam, you know, you, you got to move the trailer. And so we were – it was like, you know, it was the thorn in my flesh all week just thinking about where are we going to put this thing? You know, Albuquerque, they're just, you know, begging to steal our trailer. And so I was just – thinking about it all this week and i was getting all getting all you know weary about it and i just i was just reflecting on how all our stuff's in there you know like like if if that trailer gets stolen like we're up a creek a bit you know like we're, it's gonna you're gonna get a text message saying hey church is gonna be you know a little sheisty this week i don't know but but it just kind of got me thinking like the portability of our of our presence as a church Right, like it, it moves. And we've we've been stable right here at this school for a long time and this tra- trailer hasn't had to move a ton, but like just that portability of it had me reflecting on John chapter one. In John chapter one, uh, that's you know John's famous prologue, in the you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. Uh that that section, if you if you kind of trickle down to the to the middle towards the end of the prologue, verse fourteen, there's this there's this great Kind of one liner in there. And it says, uh, it says this, kind of jotted it down. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, is the way the English standard translates that word. Dwelt among us. You know what that word is? It's tabernacle. So John chapter 1, verse 14, is talking about Jesus Christ and how he is God and has been God eternally and how he came and he tabernacled among us. Uh, there's a helpful uh, translation, it's, it's a bit of a paraphrase translation called The Message that we'll, we'll refer to from time to time up here written by a man named Eugene Peterson and the way he translates that phrase I found extremely helpful. Here's how he translates John 1.14 He says that the, the word became one of us and then moved into the neighborhood. And like, you know, the trailer moving, the portability, God becomes a man and he moves into the neighborhood. He becomes one of us. He lives among us. This is the fullness of the presence of the divine on earth in a person, not in a building. And, and so what, you know, what's happening in Exodus 25, it's just, it's a shadow of the substance, right? It's a foretelling of what was to come. And so this, this tabernacle set up, which would then become a more permanent structure in the temple, would then become the fullness of God on earth. And so what, what happens is when Jesus moves into the neighborhood, when the fullness of God's presence comes in, what happens? Well, well, largely one of two things. Uh, people are either drawn to him or repelled by him. There are very few people who are in between. And, and who was it, we'll deal with the people that were repelled, who was it that when God's presence came close were most uncomfortable with it? It was the religious people. It was the church attending uh, you know, tithe-giving, Bible study attending, prayer group leading type of people. They were very uncomfortable with Jesus' presence, the, the presence of God. And why was that? Here's, here's my speculation. Here's why, and this might be you, here's why you might be uh, repelled by, by the presence of God. Because he cannot be controlled. Because what Jesus comes, what he does is he undermines all the ways we've, we've built, you know, for lack of a better term, control of our lives. And he, come, and he comes and he says, listen, you might be building your life the way you want to build your life, but when I come into your life, uh, all bets are off. Right? Like If, if you're going to be in my presence, if you want to be close to me, you have to relinquish control of your life to some degree, which is why who was drawn to him? People whose lives were seemingly out of control, right? The irreligious, immoral, promiscuous, tax-collecting uh, type of people. People that were shady at best, uh, that, that had no, you know, no religion in their life, those people were drawn to Jesus because what he was offering them was a fuller life. So people who think they're already building a full life are repelled by Jesus because he comes and he says, listen, if you want to be in my presence, like if you want closeness to me, here's what you have to do, uh, young rich ruler. You have to go and you have to take all your stuff and sell it and then you can follow me. And that's just, I mean, at best it's rude, right? And at worst it's just incredibly disruptive. And so how did that rich young ruler walk away? Sad. He knew what what being close to God meant. It meant I got to let go, I got to relinquish control of my life. I I cannot take this thing on my own. And so irreligious people are drawn to the presence of God. And you know, not only can he not be controlled or manipulated, but it also, God's presence, it can't be manufactured. So what the tabernacle is teaching us is, listen, this must be according to God's pattern. If you want God's presence in your life, you must do it God's way. Like, you can't manufacture it. It will not be done, uh, you know, through any sort of spiritual activity It will not be done through your career building. It will not be done from being the best parents in the city. It will not be done through, you know, just going out and doing incredible, awesome community things. God's saying, listen, if you want to be close to me, I cannot be manipulated and I cannot be manufactured. You must do it my way. And so here's the bad news of the Bible. The bad news of the Bible is that we have been running from from God's presence our whole lives. That's the bad news. Like the history of humanity and the history of your life is you are prone to run. That there is a fear of if you get really close to God, what he might ask of you, what he might do with you. And so we've been running our whole lives. And the you know, the worst part about the news is um, is that when God's presence came closest to us in the person of Jesus Christ, what did we do with him? We killed him. And, you know, I mean, you think about, I mean, Jesus Christ is the tabernacle of God. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God. And he did not come like we would expect him. He's like... He's an average, unattracted, Middle Eastern Jewish man. He spoke Aramaic. He had dark skin. His hands were probably rough from, uh, you know, woodworking and furniture building is what he did for a living. Uh, He was, you know, the scriptures say, Isaiah 53, he was probably unattractive. He was disheveled. He was not you know, this long-flowing, blonde-haired Swedish man you've seen depicted in art. Like, he was, he was not that. And because he was not what we want him to be, we killed him. And lest you separate yourself from the people of history, like, we would have done the very same thing to him. We're repelled by his presence. But the good news is that Jesus Christ knew that about you. Jesus Christ knew that you would be afraid to be close to him. And so what he did was he came, he moved into the neighborhood. He he took on your zip code. He took on all of the troubles of your life. He was faced with fear and doubt and temptation, all the things that we all struggle with. And he perfectly performed. He knew what it meant to be in the presence of his father. He knew what it meant to be the truest and best version of himself. He lived the life that simply put, you are not living. (laughs) And then he willingly and not even just willingly. I feel like sometimes we talk about what Jesus Christ did for us, and it's like, well, he's got like some sort of moral obligation or duty to do that, right? Like he knew we were a mess, and so he kind of, no, the willingness came from a deep well of desire inside of him. He desired his people to be close to him so much that he walked up Calvary's Hill, and he went onto a tree, he went on to you know the lampstand of the world right this is this is the furniture he went onto the lampstand and he and he was put to death he was crucified he was you know excruciating pain and you know unbelievable amounts of public shame he was pinned between two criminals he was the perfect flawless one so he dies in the presence of god he he goes into the holy of holies and he takes on the punishment that should have fallen on people who were running from him. And then the, the final piece, and this is, this is the key component of Christianity. If you've, if you've been around Christianity, maybe you've, you've, you're flirting with belief, you, you don't know where you're at with Jesus, this is the linchpin piece of why you can know that it's safe to be near God. Because Jesus Christ defeated death. He took death, he took sin, and he took the work of Satan himself on him on his own body, and then he declared victory through rising bodily. And here's the thing about Christianity: you know, this wasn't just testimony of one or two people who were writing the history. These were hundreds of people in an oral community who had seen, experienced, and encountered a risen Christ. It's historical, it's rooted. And so, because Jesus, being the only flawless man to conquer and defeat death, sin, and Satan, he's the ruler. He's the one who says, Listen, here's how you get to me. Here's how you get to be in the presence of God. You don't have to have a high priest anymore. You don't have to have the table of bread or the lampstand or incense. The veil, you know what happened upon his death? The veil fell it dropped from top to bottom essentially saying listen you have unfiltered unhindered access to the god of the heavens above this is how to be close you come to the true tabernacle you come to the one who who assumed your nature you come to the one who is who is humble and low and unexpected you come through Jesus Christ, it's the only way to come, and so here, you know. And let me let me bring this to close. The, the 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 essence, and this is the part that I feel like we're missing right now in our cultural moment. Like, if I were to put my finger on what is missing from probably all of our lives right now, it would be this: joy. I think one of the main tactics of the enemy who occupies this earth his name is satan one of the main tactics he has one of the strategies he uses against christians being close to god is stealing joy because again if i were you know to dangerously summarize what i think we should be doing as christians right now it's this to experience the fullness of joy by being in god's presence Like, I I don't know, somebody here needs to hear this, and I don't know who it is. It's this. You don't have to figure everything out. It is not your job to figure out vaccines and constitutional rights and, you know, racial reconciliation and, you know, homeschool versus public school versus private school. You know, like we're all anxious to such degrees right now because we think we have to figure it all out. And here's what I think God is inviting us to do, to experience just being in his presence, just finding joy, knowing that God longs, deeply desires to be in your presence. Came across this quote, and I'll kind of close with this, two, two Luther quotes and one sermon for me. Drop the mic. Let's go home. Um, I read that. I wasn't reading Luther, but I was reading about Luther. And he said this um, He said, you know, next to the reading of Scripture or next to Scripture itself, the greatest weapon we have as Christians against the tactics of the enemy is music. And I thought, why? He says this the, the reason why music is the greatest tactic, uh, greatest weapon against the enemy is because music gives us joy. And the enemy despises our joy. Gosh, like how ravaged are our lives with joyless living right now? Like we're just sludging through, getting to the next CDC order or to August 11th when APS starts or to, you know, whatever the next thing on your calendar is. Like God, all God is doing in establishing the tabernacle of saying, come home. Just come back to me. Come back to experience the joy that you were made for. And so whether that invitation is for the person who's never done that. Like, I, you know, I, I've, I've got a mild level of confidence that there's someone here today who just doesn't know what that joy feels like. To come home and to be comfortable and relaxed in the presence of God. And for the rest of you, you know, for the thousandth time, come back. Just come home. Relax. Experience just living in the presence of your maker. That's the invitation. And, and the response is, you know, I'll just tie it in in closing here with my childhood couch. It's just to get on the couch and live. Like God has, he's, he's torn the veil down. He's welcomed you home. You don't have to have it all figured out. You know, he wants, he just wants to be on the couch with you. I want you to come home, tell him what's going on, to be relaxed and to know he's with you. gosh, That's the invitation of all invitations. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, uh, again, I don't don't think I'm alone in feeling like I'm the only one um, who just struggles to just live my life close to you. Lord, all of us are so busy trying to figure things out and prepare our kids for the world. And, you know, pay bills and just all the things that our lives are made up with. And I and I know that's part of living. But Lord, I pray that just for our church that you would help us to to grow more and more comfortable, uh, just discovering joy and being in your presence. It is shocking that you want to be close to us. It really is, God, and we just complicate it so often. So Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would untie those knots that are inside of each of us that are just so, so wrapped up about what we're doing, what we're supposed to be doing, what we're not doing, and that you would even just for a moment today help us to relax and to enjoy being close to you. Thank you for giving us the tabernacle and more importantly, the true and better tabernacle, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name, amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives.